Hi, and welcome to Listen Up A-Holes, the only Marvel Cinematic Universe podcast that usually takes a bit more romancing before dropping its pants. I'm story expert Lonnie Diane Rich of Chipperish Media. And I'm Joshua Unruh, superhero scholar from Pulp Diction Productions. Together, we're making our way through the good, the bad, and the awkwardly heroic of the MCU. So listen up, A-Holes. We're going to talk about Jessica Jones, Season 1, Episodes 11 to 13. Lonnie, here we are at the end of Jessica Jones. And thank goodness they gave me one more four color fact to work with. I am so pleased for you. I don't have to go digging through any history every week trying to find something that's relevant. So I feel for you, man. I love what you come up with, too. I think it's great. It's the tough balance because there's always Mm -hmm. so much at the beginning and then they stop introducing new stuff, which makes sense, you know, but. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Nevertheless, here we are. With mm-hmm. our last four color fact, or perhaps I could tongue in cheek refer to it as a three color fact, you know, red, white, and blue. <laughs> because, of course, we're talking about Will Simpson. Okay. <laughs> Except in the 616, he's Frank Simpson. Uh huh. And he first appeared in Daredevil number 232 in July 1986, created by power duo Frank Miller and David Mazzucchelli. Mm-hmm. They are, well, we've talked about Frank Miller quite a bit, but I love yeah. Miller and Mazzucchelli together. They didn't do a lot together, but when they did Batman Year One, it changed my life. Mm-hmm. <laughs> now, I can only assume that they changed Frank's name to Will for the Netflix air quotes MCU because mm-hmm. the Punisher was coming and we didn't need two ex-military sociopaths named Frank. I get it. Yeah. <laughs> It's, it's just my best guess. It's all I got. Uh-huh. So, In the 616, Frank Simpson is better known as Nuke. Yes, mm-hmm. really. <laughs> he is a hulking blonde man with an American flag tattooed across his entire face. Oh, hello. Oh, yeah. Mm-hmm. Yeah, yeah. It's on the label, right? It's uh, right there. Uh, 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 and he permanently has a buzz cut and a lack of shirt. Mm hmm. Okay. Now, the truth is, while prepping to talk about Nuke, I said out loud to my empty office, what the fuck? (laughs) This has never happened before, but it seems like while I looked away from all things Wolverine for a couple of minutes, Mm -hmm. what had been a run of the mill failed super soldier has turned into something way more fucked up with Nuke. (laughs) You see. Nuke is apparently Weapon 7 of the Weapon Plus program. Uh Uh-huh. You may remember them as the group responsible for Weapon 1, a.k.a. Captain Mm -hmm. America, and eventually Weapon 10, or Weapon X, Wolverine. Uh Uh-huh. Not only that, but apparently Wolverine used to be mind-controlled by this guy named Romulus, and Romulus made Wolverine kidnap Frank as a child and later torture him during one of his tours in Vietnam. Oh, God. Wolverine did this. And that's literally all I'm going to say about that, because it's entirely messed up. And maybe Jay and Miles have already explained Wolverine origins. But if they haven't, I'd like them to, because that series sounds terrible. 
Yeah, no, that sounds crazy. And for those of you who are not familiar, Jay and Miles explain the X Men. It's a big podcast, and they talk about X Men stuff. So they do a maybe that's the place job. to go for that. Yeah. Yeah. Mm-hmm. yeah. So they're totally more qualified. And I started digging into that mm-hmm. to try yeah. and figure it out. And after a certain amount of time, I was like, I am spending too much time trying to figure out Wolverine <laughs> origins just because Nuke <laughs> is crazy pants in that. That's so. yeah. So to attempt to simplify, once Frank returned to the States from Vietnam, he was taken into Project Homegrown, the other code name for Weapon 7. Mm -hmm. He was given a secondary cybernetic heart that responded to pills, red, white, and blue. Mm -hmm. The reds gave him a jolt of adrenaline that sent him into a homicidal rage. Oh, God. Sure, right? That's what we want in our American super soldiers, obviously. Oh, absolutely, yes. The Mm -hmm. blues brought him down, and he then had to stay on a steady diet of whites in between. Okay. He's not well even before all kinds of terrible things happen to him as Weapon 7. Okay, so the whites are just to make sure he doesn't murder his handlers. Okay, Uh uh-huh. His skin was replaced with bulletproof plastic. Okay. (laughs) And over time, his bones were replaced with cybernetic enhancements that gave him super strength. Wow. Also, in case you weren't sure exactly what they were doing with a man with an American flag tattooed on his face named Nuke, who had to take drugs to first murder and then stop murdering. In his first appearance, he also had a massive assault rifle that fired grenades and rockets and still somehow managed to mysteriously keep track of all his kills, civilian and otherwise. Mm -hmm. Like it had a big readout on it telling him how many people he'd murdered. Wow. Mostly civilians. Yeah. (laughs) He is a real treat. Mm Mm-hmm. And frankly, turning him into Will on Jessica Jones is very much in line with the character, honestly. Yeah, no, that's kind of crazy. He has this kind of, I don't know, like everything on him has been replaced. He's kind of got a ship of Theseus thing going on. Like at what point is he, is he still this, is he still, you know, Frank Simpson when he's had everything in him replaced? This is actually a really interesting and legitimate question. Mm -hmm. And considering that uh, I know that our listeners won't hear this for a few weeks, but right now there is kind of some discourse going on about that kind of a question because of a new cyberpunk game that has been announced, Mm -hmm. right? And so there is some of that question, like, how long are you still you when you start replacing parts of yourself? And I think that question is actually even deeper with Frank, honestly. Mm -hmm. Because he was chosen for Weapon 7 because he was already in balance. Right. Like, he was already not well in his mind. Mm -hmm. And so there is a question of who is Frank Simpson even before they start switching out pieces of his body. Yeah, I don't know. I mean, there's a certain point where you just go through an identity crisis, you know? (laughs) Like... Yeah, I really think part of the deal is he never had one and they built Nuke, Mm -hmm. you know, from the wreckage of Frank Simpson's mind. And so, yeah, yeah, no, I'm with you. It's a it's a fascinating question. Anytime you start dealing with, um, you know, sort of body replacement. Yeah. You know, and I think there's fertile ground for that conversation now as we're talking more about uh, the the visibility of disabled people Mm -hmm. and prostheses and, you know, that kind of thing. Yeah. 
it's definitely time for a much more nuanced conversation. And it is kind of interesting that, that Frank has that going on both at the right. sort of psychological level as well as physical level. Right. And I guess like, I don't know, like for me, like a, a prosthesis or something like that's just like a part, like, you know, if you have an arm replaced or if you have like or a hip replaced or whatever, something like that. But when like every part of him, I mean, aside from his brain, like his, his skin is now this bulletproof plastic. He's had his bones replaced. Like there's a certain point where it goes so far. I mean, I guess if your brain is still your brain, that that is essentially what holds the identity of you. But yeah, I don't know. I mean, the cybernetic stuff, like the stuff that we got into, you know, we have that kind of happening with Deathlock as well. You know, that identity shift with him over on Agents of S.H.I.E.L.D. Like at what point? And I think that we only see this point. I don't think we see this point like people out running around in the world today, you know. But I think we see this point a lot when we're talking about these like science fiction stories and superhero stories and, and, you know, comic books and all of that, um, because we kind of do take this. You know, what happens if you how far can you push that before it's no longer the ship of Theseus? You know, Um, I find that it's like an interesting question. It is an interesting question from a couple of places, Mm -hmm. because you mentioned science fiction as a as a genre Mm -hmm. and that transhumanism, Mm -hmm. you know, is kind of changing our perspective on that. Like even you may recall, um, I mentioned how Tony Stark Mm -hmm. has become less the weapons developer and more the transhumanist, yeah. you know, mm-hmm. um, that that was very much in the extremist storyline, like mm-hmm. like he was reframed as the what what is the next evolution of humanity with technology, right. you mm-hmm. know, there's also a biological component to this because I'm going to get the amount of time wrong, but I'm just going to go with 10 years. Yeah. I'm not sure if it's that long. I think it might be less, but you're basically completely different cells every X number of years. Let's go with 10. Yeah, I think it was seven years, something like that. But yeah, like your whole body ends up getting replaced anyway. You know, like everything that you are. At the base biological level. Yeah, and I mean, and that includes, like, I think it includes your brain too. I mean, doesn't your, like all of your, your whole body, isn't it? That gets replaced by everything. But like, I mean, the thing, well, of course, this brings us into this philosophical space. Like, what is the seat of the soul? You know, what is, where is the physical soul? Where does it reside? You know, is it in the brain? I mean, is that the thing? Or like, what is it about us? And that's a whole big, like, identity philosophy thing that I feel highly unqualified to even have a discussion about, but I thought it was interesting. (laughs) (laughs) Right. The the reason I bring up the biological Uh issue is because here I am, I can do the math easily. I am about to turn 42, Uh which means I have been ship of Theseus six times. (laughs) Right? Like I am, Uh forget my own natural development, like you know, the growing, the the puberty, the changing of my brain as I learned how to learn, all that. Yeah. Forget all that mm-hmm. stuff and just look at the cells. Mm-hmm. I am a different me six times over yeah. already. Yeah. And so it almost seems like we have to have that conversation before we even talk about replacing parts of me with you know, cybernetics or prostheses or whatever. Right, right. And I mean, the thing is that like, you know, prosthetics, like somebody goes and they have a hip replacement, they have a knee replacement or something like that. Like that doesn't change who they are, you know, but when everything gets replaced, you know, by something that is not you, I don't, yeah. I don't know. Like it's okay. First of all, everybody out there listening can hear, I'm 
completely unqualified to have this conversation. Um, I have no, I have no idea what I'm talking about. I'm just throwing that out there. So that is a question for all of you out there to like chew on and answer and yell at me about on Twitter for getting it wrong. Whatever, it's fine. Um, what we're no, no, no. There's no wrong. I mean, I mean. I will say, again, part of this new cyberpunk game and the discourse mm-hmm. around it is tr- there has been a trend in cyberpunk games mm-hmm. for the for characters mm-hmm. who take on more and more cybernetics to eventually lose their mind. Yeah. Okay. Mm-hmm. That's not great, mm-hmm. right? Like that's there's a bunch of sort of mechanical reasons, like like to to try and mitigate the bonuses that cybernetics give you in the game. They yeah. try and take away something else. Mm-hmm. Like that's the gamification of what was once a genre where we were talking about stories, mm-hmm. right? And talking about replacing parts of yourself, making you lose part of what's fundamentally you is not a good look. Yeah. Right. Yeah. At the same time, there's some interesting questions about personhood and identity mixed up in this that are totally worth having well yeah no i mean i think that they're really interesting but like i don't i a i don't have an opinion i just thought about it right. like i haven't thought about it enough it just it is the the question has occurred to me but i am yes. in no way like prepared or qualified to have a discussion that even proposes any answers to it now here is what is kind of a a sort of interesting biographical note mm-hmm. for myself mm-hmm. is that not only, of course, did I read Gibson's Neuromancer and some of his other work, and not only did I absolutely fall in love with versions of Blade Runner yeah. because I am a noir guy, right? Mm-hmm. But I've been reading comic books since I was six, yeah. and this stuff is in them from jump. Mm-hmm. You mentioned Deathlock. Yeah. You've got this question with Nuke. Mm-hmm. I am enjoying the Doom Patrol series very much mm-hmm. on the DC Universe platform. And it has a character called Robot Man, who is literally entirely a robot, except for the human brain that's inside. Yeah. It, you know, mm-hmm. is he still Cliff Steele? <laughs> what? Know. I mean, you know. Well, I mean, there's just this episode of Buffy called Earshot in which Buffy has the ability to, like, read everybody's minds and hear their thoughts. And she yes. overhears Oz saying, I am me. I am my thoughts. If Buffy knows my thoughts, then I cease to be me. He's going through this whole like philosophical question. And we finally get the insight into what's going on in Oz's head because he's usually very, very quiet. He doesn't say much. So, right. <laughs> so I mean, those no, are all, it's yeah. fantastic. Yeah, they're interesting questions. These are the questions that come up in what most people consider to be trash genre mm-hmm. fiction. And that's why I don't believe in trash genre fiction. Yes, ex- I don't believe like, in that as all... a, yeah, as a identifier yeah. for, for any, any genre fiction. Genre fiction asks fascinating philosophical questions. There's always a great discussion to be had about any fiction. And we are about to go into our great discussion of Jessica Jones. I got us off track on the ship of Theseus was very interesting, but let's go ahead and move back as we talk about AKA I've got the blues. In AKA I've got the blues, Kilgrave is out there somewhere and Jessica is looking for him, but gets distracted as Simpson loses his mind and tries to kill her and Trish to keep them from stopping him from killing Kilgrave. It's like a love triangle, but for murder. Trish takes a red pill to fight him off, but not until after he's destroyed Jessica's apartment. The pill almost kills Trish. While at the hospital, Jessica gets a text from Kilgrave about Luke and she rushes to see him. He looks at her through the window and then the bar blows up. Luke walks out on fire, a little stunned, but okay. Because you know, Luke Cage, sweet Christmas. (laughs) 
<laughs> AKA I've Got the Blues was written by Scott Reynolds and Liz Friedman and directed by Uta Breezewitz. And I presume that that is the pronunciation of that name. I really don't know. <laughs> We're going with it. All right, let's go with it. So AKA I've Got the Blues, uh, this episode felt to me like I could skip it happily and not miss anything. We've got this, we just had this whole big, you know, explosion, uh, you know, metaphorically, the literal one comes later. Um, we've had this whole big <laughs> explosion of, of Kilgrave and everything in this, and this whole buildup with that. And now he's gone and Jessica needs to find him. You know, she's, we're opening with her, you know, with dying hope in her lap, basically, you know, this whole thing. Um, and then we end up spending all this time with Trish and Jessica and like their relationship. We have the hunt for, for Kilgrave kind of in there a little bit to be like, oh, yes, no, we are talking about Kilgrave. But, oh, let's focus on Simpson. Like, <laughs> I, I don't care yeah. about Simpson. I don't care about the flashbacks for Jessica and Trish. We are in the final act. Everything is supposed to be speeding up now, not slowing down. Um, so this episode I found like there's, there's parts of it that I like and there's parts of it that I enjoy, but overall I found myself just really annoyed and wanting to move forward. Like even the Robin and Malcolm stuff, which I thought was great, you know, in and of itself, like those scenes, like the, what it did for Robin, what it did for Malcolm. I kind of liked all that stuff, but at this point in the story, no, you don't drive yeah. five hours to Disney World and stop off at the 7-Eleven and read a magazine. You know what I'm saying? <laughs> yes. Mm -hmm. This is the, I, I mean, there are sort of varying levels to this. So I, I'm going to put it all under an umbrella and we can pick it apart if we want mm -hmm. to. But there is a lot in this particular episode, and I think in the next couple too, honestly, Yeah. that is not bad. And in fact, I enjoy quite a lot. And some of it, to lesser and greater extents is important, mm -hmm. but it's all in the wrong place. It is in the wrong place. Like the the Trish, okay, first of all, I don't like the flashbacks. Everybody knows how I feel about that. I'm not gonna go on about why they're bad. They're just bad, just trust me, I know what I'm talking about. Usually, usually flashbacks are bad. Every usually now bad. and again, you can, you can justify them. But in this circumstance, absolutely not. And even if this had been at the beginning of the season, it wouldn't have been great. Mm -hmm. Let me help you a little bit just in case people don't know, because I can boil this down to like two sentences, just in case you love the flashbacks because they're very good in their own right, yes. like as a scene, yes. mm -hmm. but they do not do anything for the narrative. They do nothing for the larger picture of this episode. Right. If you slot them out, I really enjoy them. I don't understand why they're here. I don't understand though. why they're here. They're interrupting. I mean, sometimes flashbacks just don't do anything for the narrative. This is actively interrupting the narrative. Yes. We've got all this dramatic weight on Kilgrave, and we're like, oh, let me, you know, every every 15 minutes or so, we see Jessica at a morgue looking at another dead body, and like, that's all she's got, you know? Um, and then we do these flashbacks, we do all this stuff, and then we've got all this Simpson stuff. And let me just say, okay, not only is the Simpson stuff unbelievably stupid, you could lift this character clean out of not just this episode, but the entire series and not make a difference at all. Here we have him coming after Jessica, coming after Trish, right? You know, chewing on the pills. Um, and then he, um, he ends up getting knocked out and his guys take him. And you know what? Has no effect 
like on the end of the season. There's nothing. The only thing it does is it gives Trish access to the red pills so that she can take it and like, you know, beat the hell out of Simpson. But Trish in the end, like in, in the final climax and the, the final bit of the, like those red pills have no effect on whether we get Kilgrave, how we get Kilgrave. She's not on a red pill when she's there helping Jessica. Like there's no, there's no justification for this storyline or this character in this season at all, except being a pain in my ass. I have some pushback there mm-hmm. that does not make what happens in these episodes better. Yes. Okay. But I do think that there is a a tension between these shows as individual stories with beginning, middles, and ends mm-hmm. that we also know are in a way serialized. Yeah. Right? Mm-hmm. I, as a longtime genre fiction fan, especially superhero comics, love it when somebody gets beat but they don't really have time to like see to that villain. Mm -hmm. And then he isn't there when they have time to come back because he's not the main villain, right? But maybe he will be next time. Like, I like that as a theory, you know? It's just that should have been done back in Act Two if they were going to do it. Well, you know? no, but also like if well, first of all, yes, if you're going to get rid of Simpson, like do that and uh, earlier, like here he's just wasting our time for an episode, you know. Yes. Um. So I mean, there is some of Simpson in that he gives Trish access to these superpowers that she wants, but the fact that Trish doesn't use those superpowers at the end makes the argument for Simpson even weaker than it already is. Um. So there's a lot. Of, I mean, basically, we've got 13 episodes in this season. You could cut it down to 10 and make a much, much better story out of it. A good 30% I think edit you could salvage Simpson. Maybe you could, you could if you get rid of him earlier. If you get rid of him earlier, you have Trish take the red pill earlier, you know? Um, but him here in this episode is just pointless and it's just giving us something else for Jessica to hit, you know, in this episode where actually we really should be focused. This should be all about Kilgrave. Before we move on from Simpson, there is a pretty serious thematic thing going on with him that I've kind of alluded to before, but the metaphor gets deeper okay. here. And it doesn't make his presence in this episode or in this part of the story better. Mm-hmm. But I do think it's really interesting and I want to talk about oh, it. Oh, great. I mentioned at the beginning that I liked what they were doing with Simpson, even when he felt like he was kind of in the way a little bit. Mm-hmm. In that he is the air quotes good guy that is actually still terrible. Yes. You know, Mm -hmm. he is differently terrible than Kilgrave, obviously. Mm -hmm. Like it's by degrees or whatever. But this is a man who is just ate up by toxic masculinity. This is what I do. I fulfill the mission. I committed to the scenario. You know, Mm -hmm. I'm going to invade your space to make me feel better, ostensibly to make you feel better. (laughs) You know. Not a good guy, right? Mm -hmm. Now we have him literally taking red pills Mm -hmm. to become more that person. Yeah. Lonnie, I'm certain at this point you have seen The Matrix. (laughs) I have. I have. Yes. So you're familiar with the choice between the red and the blue pill that Morpheus gives to Neo. Mm -hmm. Are you aware? And if you're not, God bless you. I'm about to steal away another little shred of your innocence. But... Are you aware of the use of the red pill as a metaphor for the men's rights movement? Oh, I did hear about that. And it's, yes, terrible. 
so for those of you not aware, mm -hmm. I'm not an expert, so I'm going to keep this real high level. But basically, the story that men's rights activists tell themselves is that they see the world as it really is, a conspiracy to make them less manly mm -hmm. and to have their place supplanted by women, and that that's the reason women don't like them, not that they are devoid of personality except for hatred and awfulness, mm -hmm. right? Yes. And the metaphor that they use for this is the choice between the red and the blue pill. Or if you remember from The Matrix mm -hmm. and spoilers for whatever 20 year old movie yes, at this point. Exactly. <laughs> Neo is living in a simulation mm -hmm. and he can either take the blue pill and return to the simulation in ignorance or he can take the red pill and find out what the world is really about. Mm -hmm. And by the way, finding out what the world is really about sucks. Yes. <laughs> it's the truth, but it's not fun. Yeah. And this is what the MRAs have decided to do with this metaphor. Mm -hmm. They have taken the air quotes red pill and can now see the real reality of the world. Yeah. Now, I just mentioned Nuke was created in the mid 80s. Mm -hmm. So there was no red pill metaphor then. Right. It's, mm -hmm. You know, the red, white and blue pills is all America, which is still here. But, you know, right. mm -hmm. now it has this added level. To me, right. the fact that this already toxically shitty masculine guy yeah. then takes the red pill and stops even trying to be the good version of that yeah. person. Yeah. Right? Mm -hmm. And Trish takes the red pill and becomes a giant bro. Mm -hmm. Now, we're going to talk a little more about that. I'm going to actually justify my favorite part because it involves Trish yes. and the red pill. Mm -hmm. Because the way that I see that through the lens of Trish is very different. You can It can do multiple things, mm -hmm. right? That's right. the beauty of stories. Mm -hmm. But I mean, in this moment, she takes the red pill and takes on all the absolute worst, most aggressive, most I just want to beat the shit out of you and yeah. show you what a badass I am mm -hmm. parts of masculinity. And she thinks it's great. And it's because she took the red pill. Yeah. And if you think that a bunch of woman creators mm -hmm. who were working on this show didn't know exactly what they were doing with that. Well, yeah, and it also almost kills her. Trish, you don't have the tolerance for it. Yes. You take this red pill, it's going to kill you. Toxic masculinity, I mean, Margaret Atwood, right? Men are afraid that women are going to laugh at them. Women are afraid that men are going to kill them. You know, yes. and I mean, that's the thing. Toxic masculinity, this MRA bullshit, all of that kind of mindset, that choosing your own narrative. And I mean, the thing is that people do often choose their own narrative and they choose the narrative that feeds whatever it is in them that they want to feed you know right there's also the yes yeah the philosophy we're getting really philosophical in this one but um there's the philosophy about the good wolf and the bad wolf right you know the, there are two wolves inside of you a good wolf and a bad wolf and it depends on which one uh -huh. you feed you know um so yes. i mean this is the thing like you can choose to feed the bad wolf this toxic masculinity or toxic you know perspective on whatever it is that you cling to with your identity but that doesn't make it any less toxic you know just because you believe that this is the perspective from which you need to see the world and when people choose to see the world through that perspective if it is at odds with harmonizing with the other people who happen to also be on this planet with you assholes then um <laughs> sorry these people make me mad uh then you have chosen toxicity you know you have yes, chosen yes. to select a narrative that builds you up in this imaginary way but also of necessity tears other people other identities identities that are separate from yours down you know um and that's a bullshit thing so i mean that's one of the the ways that you can tell immediately whether something is toxic or not is if if embracing that particular narrative is going to hurt people 
you know, then don't fucking do it. Then feed the good wolf, you know? Um, yes. But, yeah. uh, but all of that, I think, is fascinating. And I'm glad that you brought it up. Even though this, like, the red pill idea, you know, evolves after the original source from which this was taken, um, I think that the idea of ingesting something into yourself that creates a different reality, which is what happens when you select your narratives, you know, select Mm -hmm. your narratives carefully, people, because they can do so. When I talk about story being the most powerful fucking thing on earth, that is what I'm talking about. You select a narrative and it changes your entire life. Over in Big Strong Yes, Kelly and I had a big discussion about this. And one of the things that kind of came out of that was, is that the narrative that feeds your soul? Because when you look at a situation in which some elements of quote unquote reality may be up for interpretation, like, you know, do do we, you know, go on to heaven after we die? Things like that. Things that you can't prove that you can't know, but but which if you select a narrative you know you can decide how you feel about the thing what do you believe to be true when you select a narrative where reality can in a situation where some of reality is open to interpretation select the narrative that feeds your soul select the narrative that gives you hope and happiness and good things feed the good wolf you know um so deciding that you believe in something and you know and i don't think that anybody selecting a narrative of like the kind of the mra kind of thing is selecting a narrative that feeds your soul anything that that makes you toxic to other people also makes you toxic to yourself you know uh these are not happy guys you know, I mean, they're choosing this. This, this is not a, a, a narrative that brings joy to anyone, you know. Um, so anyway, long story short, I think that there is something I think that that while we have this red pill as kind of this cultural touchstone in our, you know, kind of pop culture philosophy, um, that even though these two things don't seem to be related, I think in, in a lot of ways, maybe through so like what Young called it, the collective unconscious, right? These things, I think that there's an argument, you know, that that there are these things that are out there that we have access to through some kind of ethereal way whatever, you know, Um, and possibly the red pill as a symbol, you know, as a symbol that does seem to be, you know, attached to this like toxic masculinity. um, There may be something to that, you know, although I think that in in the matrix, the, the red pill, you know, gives you access to reality and reality is shitty you know, and terrible. I don't think that, uh, that in the matrix, we really associate it with, with toxic masculine. There's a lot of other stuff. That's we'll talk about the matrix. Oh, on no, no, day. No. But yeah, no, that's worth saying. Yeah. That is a giant perversion mm-hmm. of what the Wachowskis oh, were trying to say absolutely. with the red pill in the matrix. Yes, yes. Yes. Yeah, it is. And that is why I kind of appreciate that this group of creators has taken like that misunderstanding mm-hmm. of that concept. Yeah. And grafted it onto this character that's kind of older than that concept, like recreated that symbol. Yeah. It's not like Nuke was a good thing the first time we saw him in 1986, right. but now he is differently bad. Yes. You know. Yes. No, it's, it's and very differently bad in a way that is thematically strong mm-hmm. in Jessica Jones. Yeah. And I also like, and you know, bringing it back to Simpson, right? Um, I also like this. Yeah, I'm a dick, but I need your help. Like. Yes. It is again one of these like male thing. Okay. That's that's wrong. That's unfair for me to say men. But like, yeah, I'm a dick. I need your help. It's about me. Everything's about me. It's it's a essential narcissism that sometimes we find happening within 
men who are struck by toxic masculinity. Let me hey, just put it that Don't apologize. No, that is I'm not actually... saying all men. I mean, I know hashtag not all men is bullshit and that there's the whole long reason. But like at the same time, like I don't want to say that all men have this, but I want to say that it is kind of a defining characteristic of this toxic element within our culture that does tend to poison men. No, let me let me help you out there as like as a guy, <laughs> as a man, I will say for you, we all have that culturally Even if it's, it's cultural it's, yeah i mean culturally it's brought it's not like inherent to being a man and i know many men like yourself who have battled those elements very nicely you know let's let's actually i will take that a step further um i am battling like yeah. it is a what it, what is that present continuous yes 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 <laughs> it is present continuous tense yeah because it is not intrinsic to me being a man, mm -hmm. but it is intrinsic to me being a American man in 2019. Raised it in is. this culture, There's absolutely. Nothing I can do about well, it. Well, no, and I've got the woman things too. I mean, there are things that that women yes. pick up that are part of the culture that we then internalize because it comes to us from day one. You come out of the womb. This stuff is. There's no defense against it. You're you're mm -hmm. a child. Mm -hmm. You can't think critically about these things. And by the time you can, they've already infected you. You know. So um. So I mean, the thing is that like this is something that is in the culture. This is something that all of us need to battle with based on various identities whatever your identities are how you get treated in the world is different how you experience the world is different um and sometimes it's very difficult to sort of see how other identities identities that are not yours are affected by things and that's why we all need to talk to each other and kind of talk about this stuff um but but the thing that i do want to say is that i don't believe that men are inherently bad you know, I believe that men are poisoned by their environment the same way that women are poisoned by their environment. It's just in different ways. And, and the way in which men are poisoned by their environment links directly to the, you know, um, to the amount of power that men yes. are given within this particular yes. culture that we happen to be in, you know. Um, yeah. So so given all without realizing it's being given. Yeah. And, and the thing is that unearned power you know, is toxic, you know, it, it Absolutely. does. I mean, yes. and we have a, like a whole line. Um, oh, okay, we're, we're going to come to it, I think in another episode, but there's we actually address that a little bit later in this in this run of episodes, the idea like when Claire's talking about, um, about the powerful people having to question everything they do all the time, right? Um, yeah. Because when yeah. you have power, you also have an excessive amount of responsibility and men are not held to the responsibility, they're just given the power. Um, and that yeah. gives you a, a toxic kind of imbalance there. But anyway, so we are hugely going off track. I think maybe we didn't like these episodes. And so we're having these deep philosophical questions so we could talk about something other than what's going on here. But let me go ahead and bring us back and talk about something else that we have um, that kind of also takes away from the focus of the episode. You know, um, and yet I don't it doesn't bother me as much because it doesn't take away from like it's not something that's distracting Jessica specifically, mm -hmm. which is kind of like mm -hmm. a sidebar thing. And we don't spend too much time on it. But like Malcolm and Robin and, and Robin is mostly there to serve Malcolm's story, you know, his choice yes. to leave or to stay. Um, but I actually again, I thought it slowed down our story at a time when it should be ramping up, you know, um, and I could have yes. used this at an earlier point in the season, but Malcolm deciding to leave, you know, the, the shot at Jessica where he says, I've got to get that distance from you, you know, feels out of character for him. I don't know why he takes the shot at Jessica um, because he's making, it's, it's not, it, not consistent with everything else that we've seen about him. But then he hears Robin yelling 
and he goes to her because he can't help but help her you know um mm -hmm. and so i kind of i love that um i love also that you know we're going to get to jessica's door but we have this moment where malcolm sees the flashlights like somebody's yes. in the, the guys that are coming for simpson jessica's you know window has been crashed through again it's cracked um there's weird flashlights in her dark apartment and every other time in the season malcolm would choose to go and check it out and find out what's going on with jessica and this time he just goes into his apartment you know, which I think is a mm -hmm. really nice moment, you know, um, and yeah. and the connection between Malcolm and Robin and Robin being what brings him back, you know, what keeps him there. This idea that he wants to help people, uh, I think was kind of kind of nice. No, I agree. And I think, again, this is so much the I love this stuff, but it's in the wrong part of the story. Yes. Mm -hmm. Is that Robin and Malcolm serve Jessica's story. They mm -hmm. serve the part of Jessica's story where she is trying to not involve herself in the world yeah. because that's how you get hurt. Mm -hmm. And Malcolm seeing her as a black hole that cannot be helped yeah. and turning his back on her is actually Malcolm adopting Jessica's response to the world. Right. Yeah. Which is bad. Yeah. Right. Like, I mean, that is not a workable life philosophy for you to be healthy and happy and productive. Right. You know? Jessica should not be your role model. <laughs> exactly. Yeah. <laughs> and and so I love what's going on with Robin and Malcolm. Mm -hmm. I really do. And I do think it actually serves Jessica's narrative quite a lot. Yeah. It's just not supposed to happen here when we're ramping up. Exactly. Exactly. It's just kind of slowing down in this space. Um. But despite the fact that I don't like the flashbacks, I don't care. Like, we're we're setting up a story that's going to be happening in season two, you know? Um, mm -hmm. And with Jessica's history and how she got her power and all that. But that's not what this story is about. And this is not the time to bring this into this story to, like, seed the next season. We can get there when we get there. The question of, of how Jessica got her powers is always going to be there. Like, you know, we don't need to be like, oh, wow, Jessica finds this interesting. Of course she does. Of course Trish finds that interesting. <laughs> you know, uh, we don't need any of that. You know, we don't need the relationship with Dorothy, how terrible Dorothy is. We, we, we've gotten that. We've gotten a sense of that by the fact that Jessica threatened to kill her if she comes near Trish again, you know? Right. Um, so I think, yeah. that we, I think that we got that. We don't need to see the specifics because we see how Jessica treats Dorothy and we know how Jessica is with people. She's fair to good people, you know? Um, so all of that, I think, takes away. But I actually do, I do like the relationship between Trish and Jessica. And I think that yes. um, I like the way that they're there for each other. I like the way that... Um, that, you know, Jessica lies to her. She says, you have to go get sleep. And Jessica's like, oh, yeah, no, I'm going home to get sleep. And then spends the whole night out anyway. But she lies to Trish to make Trish feel better. So Trish can go and mm -hmm. get some sleep and not worry about her, you know. Um, so, I mean, they are really connected. They are there for each other. And I, I like the the core of that relationship. And I like that Trish is helping Jessica here at the end of the story. Um, so I think that that's all good stuff. Yeah, I agree. It just is kind of coming when we should be, we should have done all that work already, I guess. Well, is, I mean, yeah. I mean, the, know, what we're agreeing about. In the, in the moment now where they're helping, like kill the flashbacks, but keep them being there for each oh, other. Yeah. Like, you know, I like that. Yeah. Um, and then the, the little bits of 
Kilgrave that we get is basically just Jessica looking for him. Um, although mm-hmm. I have to say, mm-hmm. like, my definite favorite moment in this episode is Jessica at the morgue where she says, call me if you get any more old dudes, especially if the body's messed up, pieces missing, head literally shoved up the ass, knees bent backwards, body dissolved in acid. <laughs> and I'm like, that specificity specificity makes for good writing i'm just letting you know yeah it's so fun um so i really really liked all of that it also shows her being kind of a great detective yeah which i appreciate a lot exactly. in my detective fiction yes <laughs> a good detective is a lot of fun in your detective fiction absolutely um so i mean i like that they're looking for Kilgrave, and then it isn't until the end she gets the text you know she goes to see luke luke shuts the window the place explodes. And I think my favorite part is Luke kind of wandering out, just completely on fire. Everything on fire. <laughs> he is completely <laughs> on fire. And he looks stunned the way that I look stunned when I accidentally hit my head on the car door getting out, you know? Right. Like- <laughs> I dropped a glass. Are you okay? Yeah, I'm just surprised. I dropped exactly. a glass, you know. Yeah. Exactly. You know. Um so yeah, I mean, I just it was so it's this huge moment. I mean, this is his bar and it blows up and it's his livelihood and it has, you know, we find out later everything that's left of Riva, you know, in there. Um so we've got yeah. all of this stuff and um and then it's just it just to me, I don't know, was it fun? It, it struck me as funny. He just wanders out on fire <laughs> just like wow that was a thing like nothing happened to him yeah it's a little sort of tragicomic right it, it like, is yeah. we know everything that makes that moment terrible mm-hmm. but it's such a huge like physical cataclysm that because of who he is it's not really that big a deal to him physically yes you know, yes there's exactly. almost a cartoonish yes you know aspect to it it's just i mean it's really good like i love it i I mean luke is badass and i think it's fantastic but at the same time as i was watching it i was like well that's funny (laughs) right it just struck me as funny which makes me worry about myself and my humanity (laughs) listen we all loved our coyote and roadrunner cartoons (laughs) okay fair enough All right, so moving on from there, we're going to pick up this story when we talk about AKA Take a Bloody Number. In AKA Take a Bloody Number, Luke helps Jessica search for Kilgrave. Dorothy gives Trish some information about Jessica's past that may explain how she got her powers. Malcolm decides to leave town, mostly to put distance between his life and Jessica's destruction, but then stays to help Robin. Albert helps Kilgrave enhance his powers, which are now working over longer times and greater distances. Jessica and Luke go to check out a concert hall where Kilgrave's been testing his control, and Kilgrave is there. He can't control Jessica, but Luke is still under his control, and Kilgrave orders Luke to kill Jessica. Kilgrave runs, and Jessica chases him outside, and cops come. Luke tosses them aside and comes after Jessica. She shoots him to stop him and knocks him out. A.K.A. Take a Bloody Number was written by Hilly Hicks Jr. and directed by Billy Gearhart. All right. So um, we've got a whole bunch of stuff happening in this episode. Things are starting to move. We've got this Luke and Jessica story. um, And we immediately he wakes up a little bit. And he tells her the whole thing. And we go into this flashback of how he went with Kilgrave and Kilgrave controlled him and all of this kind of stuff. Um, what did you think? I of don't this hate that flashback, Lonnie. 
Okay. Uh, no, I I still do. I don't know why. You do? I, okay. Okay. I I here's the thing. I have like a dislike of flashbacks because they are so overused. You know, had we not had so many other shitty flashbacks throughout this entire season, I probably would have forgiven this one. But at this point, (laughs) I'm so annoyed with the fucking flashbacks and the move out of time that... um, Well, listen, apologize for nothing. You still have flashback hangover from Daredevil. Yes. No, I do. Forget Jessica Jones. So much. There's so much. There's so many flashbacks. And the thing is, is that it is something that it's weak writing. You know, it's something that you go to when you're not really like, I think people go to it because they've seen it so much that they feel like it's a legit writing device that they can use and just throw it in there and all this kind of stuff. And I just think that you really should only use a flashback when you absolutely know what you're doing. You know, lost used flashbacks. Well, Um, but in this particular instance, it just it's it's okay. It's fine. Whatever. I, I guess I like this one because I do actually feel like it serves the narrative a little bit. I think um, we get a sense of, yeah, yeah. Yeah, I really like the interaction between one of our two best examples of mm-hmm. pro- sort of good masculinity and one of our two best examples of worst masculinity. Yeah. Mm-hmm. And that that in the conversation, Luke almost sort of cancels Kilgrave out. Like, yeah. Kilgrave's yeah. response of, well, I'm going to have to think about an honest response to that is so good. <laughs> it is nice. I do like seeing them. I, I will say, like, I like the um, what's contained in the flashback. Yeah. Um, but we're but it happened before and now we're hearing about it. And like, I just if we'd seen it at the time. You know, or whatever. I don't know. Mm-hmm. Anyway, like mm-hmm. it's just it's 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 a whole thing. I just I, I am now flashback sensitive. You know, I, if you have a course, slight allergy to peanuts and you eat a lot of peanuts then you get sensitive to peanuts. You know what I'm saying? So, yeah. <laughs> I think <laughs> no, that's how I, it works because I'm also I, a doctor and I completely understand how that works. Yeah. <laughs> I'm not a doctor, nor do I play one on podcasts. So definitely <laughs> listen to my thoughts on peanut allergies. Hi. Exactly. It's just me stretching for another really, really useless metaphor. But um, but I love Luke and Jessica working together. I love this whole thing. And I had completely forgotten because it's been so long since I've seen this season, that Luke uh-huh. was under Kilgrave's control the whole time. So oh that twist hit me, and it was awesome. I liked yes. that. Yes. Yeah. Yes. It really is one of those, like, reframes everything before kind yeah. of moment. You know, yeah. up to and including the point that what Luke says to Jessica still sounds like what Luke would say. I know. But when Kilgrave says, "I wrote that," oh my god! Yes, who is it really? Like, did does Luke mm-hmm. forgive her? I mean, I feel like he probably does. Well, would. yeah, but then in that moment, he says, "I will never forgive you for you know for kill you killed my wife. How could I ever forgive you?" But the thing is, is that we don't know what Kilgrave is making him do and what Kilgrave is not making him do. Yes. Like, we don't know the level of of fuckery that that Kilgrave is bringing into this interaction. I mean, in the moment when he forgives her. I was like, oh, my God, it's so sweet. What a lovely thing for him to say to her. And it's so wonderful. And then she's able to fall asleep on his shoulder while they're staking out the lab. And I was like, oh, my God, Jessica would never fall asleep. But now there's finally someone that she can lean on, you know, Mm because when you're the strongest person in the room, there's nobody for you to lean on. 
you know? And that's one of yes. the, the costs of having that kind of power. And so now there's somebody who's as powerful as she is that she can actually lean on, you know? Um, and I love all of that. I mean, I think that is all so fantastic. And so especially when they do that twist. And I mean, this is the thing, like twists or something that anybody who's listened to me talk on How Story Works or on any of my other podcasts, I'm not a fan. I think that generally writers go way out of their way to like make a twist, you know, happen so that the audience is unprepared for it. And often they lie to their audience in order to do it. But if you go back and watch this episode all the way through, there is absolutely nothing that Luke does or says that is inconsistent with being under Kilgrave's control. Mm-hmm. So, I mean, all of it is so fantastic and they didn't lie to the audience. And here's the thing, writers, you can have your twist don't lie to your audience. Use the momentum of your audience's presumptions. One of our presumptions being that the Kilgrave effect dies down after 10 to 12 hours, right? You know, mm-hmm. so use the, the, your audience's presumptions. And this is, meanwhile, we know that Kilgrave has Albert and that Kilgrave is going to try to yes. enhance his powers. Like, we already know what Kilgrave is up to. So the thing is, they didn't lie to us about that either. It's all there. You know, we just were so distracted by this Simpson bullshit that we forgot. So, (laughs) but I mean, like all of that is there. They told the audience everything. And yet still this twist absolutely worked. So in a circumstance like that, that's when you get your twist, but you have to earn it. You have to work for it. And you have to make sure that everything, when you go back through, that everything is consistent with both narratives, that he is under Kilgrave's control and that he's not under Kilgrave's kill graves control and it worked i thought perfectly i agree completely with every single bit of that and it uh, like all of it about how twists mm-hmm. are not great mm-hmm. because there's always a bunch of work you have to do and lying to your audience and how good this one is yes. but friends i would also like to report a murder of the simpson subplot <laughs> man <laughs> just sneak in there with the kidney punch lonnie goodness <laughs> Well, yeah, you know, I mean, that's it, that was the only function of the Simpson thing is that it's so irritating that you forget all of the details that you should have in your head. Um, but I liked all of this. I loved the whole the whole thing with Jessica and Luke. And, and as I, I loved it when, you know, he takes back the piece of shit comment. I love when he says, I'll, you know, I'll say it every day for as long as you need to hear it. I love everything between them. And I'm built in and I'm invested in this. And then he's under Kilgrave's control. And he says, you killed my wife. How could I ever forgive you? And you don't know what's real and you don't know what's what. But I'm so invested in this you know, relationship yeah. between these two people um, that it is. I, I thought that was fantastic. I thought that worked really, really great. Um, Another lesser element of that, but yeah. to show you how much they have been writing towards that moment from the beginning mm-hmm is that if you remember the first time that Jessica and Luke had sex, mm-hmm. they had a little bit of strength play mm-hmm. at first. Mm-hmm. And you could see that Jessica's clearly very, very strong and Luke is much stronger, mm-hmm. you know? Mm-hmm. Like they were setting up this moment where it was like, oh shit, he's gonna murder her yeah. all the way back then. Like yeah. it's never been a question as to like who would win sort of a stand-up fight, mm-hmm. you know? Yeah. Um. And here we are going, oh, no, this is a stand-up fight. Yeah. <laughs> oh, God. It is so, it is so crazy. And then when she shoots him, you know, I mean, that moment is so, and she's over his body and just so upset 
Like you yes. can see her so vulnerable. I mean, it, she had to. Do, it was the only way he was going to kill her. Like, yes, you know. And the worst part of that is her relief mm-hmm. is also mixed up in that. Like, yeah. because she. She won. I mean, yeah. you know, she got out of the situation, but look what she had to do in the meantime. And she right. can't stop feeling terrible about it while also being relieved that she's not dead. Yeah. Yeah. There's a lot of emotion in that moment. It's, it's fantastic. So fantastic. And Kristen Ritter absolutely kills it. She does a great job with all of this. It's so great. Um, so I, I loved all of that stuff. Then we've got this Dorothy and Trish bullshit. And who cares? <laughs> It's like yeah. now that Jerry and her whole thing is resolved, I guess we're supposed to now care about Trish and her mom or whatever. Like, we need a new shitty subplot to replace our previous shitty subplot. Yes, except we don't because it's the end of the season. We're supposed to be moving faster, not slower. So all of this stuff, I'm like, I don't even care. But she gives her the um, the file that has you know information about the um, the hospital, I guess, or the group that was uh, administering Simpsons stuff and that being related to Jessica's superpowers and so we're getting all of this stuff which has absolutely bugger all to do with anything that we're doing now in this season this is all seeding for season two and I don't care um I mean it's it's I think but again like moment to moment work scene level it's it's fine you know, like, yeah. I mean, the yeah. work is good. Rebecca De Mornay is very good at being evil. Uh, this oh mother gosh. is yes. hugely manipulative, which is terrible, but it's well done, you know? And I mean, the, the coming from this background of this woman who would, you know, exert control through manipulation, you know, as a, as a somewhat more mundane reflection of the kind of shit that Kilgrave does, you know? Um, mm-hmm. I think that, I think that there's, a little something in that which had we pulled at that thread you know that jessica had grown up with this incredibly manipulative woman and then ends up in the hands of this manipulative man you know that there could have been something interesting there but we don't do that we see trish affected by dorothy but jessica not affected at all you know i mean as far as we can tell so um so all of that you know is is trying to give it some it doesn't belong here i don't care it's slowing everything down i want luke I don't care about Dorothy right. and Trish, you know? Um, I want Luke and Jessica and Kilgrave, and I don't care about really anything else. Yeah, that's hard to argue with. I mean, if you wanted to do this kind of mirroring between Dorothy and Kilgrave, that's strong stuff and a good setup for season two. Yeah. Do that throughout the rest of the season instead of us dicking around with stuff like that Jerry didn't matter. and her girlfriend like that we don't care yes. about. All I need from Hogarth is for her to be a really good lawyer and a really shitty human being. Like, yes, we, that's fine. And, and listen, I mean, I'm married to a lawyer. So <laughs> when I say this, just know that I, I know everything good and bad. It's not that hard to manage that characterization. <laughs> Your like, wife that's is amazing, though. She's, she's a good lawyer. I'm, I'm saying I know the good person. and the bad. Which side do you think I think she's on? Come on. But I'm through her, saying, I have yes. met several lawyers. Sure, yes. Just mm-hmm. saying. And they can be terrible. Great lawyer, terrible human being. Look out your window. Throw yeah, a rock. You've yeah. hit three of them. It's not. Sometimes yeah. it's a cliche for a reason. Right. Right. <laughs> Hi, this is Dr. Kelly Jones of Welcome to the End Times, Still Dead, 
and orgasm. Chipperish Media is entirely supported by listener donations, which make all the podcasts you love possible. Podcasts like Still Pretty about Buffy the Vampire Slayer, Still Dead about Angel the Series, Listen Up A-Holes about the Marvel Cinematic Universe, Orgasm about Explosive Inspiration, Welcome to the End Times about Good Omens, Metaphors Be With You about Star Wars, and How Story Works about, well, how stories work. Chipperish Media's generous patrons keep all of Chipperish's great content free and ad-free. Visit patreon.com slash chipperish to find out how a couple of bucks a month can support one of the best independent podcast companies in the known universe. Thanks, y'all. All of this stuff, again, we're just kind of wasting time with this. And then, of course, we've got more Malcolm, which, again, I feel about the same way as I did in the last episode. I also screwed up something. There was something, the thing with Malcolm um, shooting, like, you know, shooting Jessica down and being mean to her as he's leaving and then coming back for Robin. That was in this episode. (laughs) So I talked about it last time, but that's fine. Um, It's okay. I mean... I don't hate that either, honestly, yeah. because, again, I think Malcolm is being a reflection of Jessica in that moment. Yeah. She's so shitty to everyone else so that she feels good about them being shitty to her. Yeah. You know, mm-hmm. that that's what he's doing. Mm-hmm. It, it doesn't mean that it goes here, but I like what they're doing in mirroring Jessica's worst aspects yes. in Malcolm. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Uh, it's like interesting that, that he's too. going down that path as she is against her will coming out of it right you know? right and it, it shows this you know kind of um almost poisonous effect you know and he's yeah. saying you have done this to me like you have made me into a worse person you know um and so i mean i, I don't know it feels, he's not wrong yeah yeah i mean i well, i don't know like i i don't he's not 100 percent right either i think that his life has gotten has you know been seriously complicated by trying to help you know but i also like that he comes back to his his nature when he's trying to leave and robin is the one who's in crisis you know um and i also have to say rob okay robin as like a human is a big mess but the character is a delight to watch and the she's actress, so compelling oh the actress who does does such an amazing job and when they're at the pier where he dumped <laughs> ruben's body oh my god and she says all right i know you're into me and this is a romantic <laughs> setting and i'm like robin and it's working and lonnie it's working. she says and it's working well, okay it's working because it's you know malcolm <laughs> because malcolm is beautiful well and also because robin's not entirely okay like she's into different things exactly well that she finds it romantic in that that setting with all the garbage and everything is working for but um (laughs) but i mean i like i loved that that moment in and of itself i absolutely loved i mean again it's slowing down us in our last movement of the story and we shouldn't have it here but i mean god i loved it i loved the two of them it was just really fun and she was i i loved her you know, I mean, I just love the the character. I love the the actress, the way it's played. I mean, she's a, she's a mess, but I, I kind of like her. Just think about the journey that we have been on with Robin. I know, I know. Man. <laughs> and the thing is, she's still completely the same character. It's just like the more we get to see of her, the more we understand if yes. not entirely like. Yes, You know, exactly. we just get it. We're like, okay, okay, I, you're... You're not only horrible. I, she even she knows it. 
People don't like me. They like him. I know. You know. Oh, my God. Man. And when she's like, we're Pisces, the two fish swimming in an eternal circle. It was really kind of sweet. And then when she says, Pisces are the most forgiving of the Zodiac. Oh, man. I just, I loved it. It was so sweet. It, she was so, she's so nicely and complexly characterized. And I yes. like that, you know, it's, it's a fun character. Um, so she was, it was fun to spend time with her, even though I was looking at my watch and being like, all right, let's, let's get on with this. Shall we <laughs> remember that Kilgrave fella? Remember the guy you know, who's going yeah. out and like murdering people. Yeah. Can we take care of that? Um, and speaking of which, let's go ahead and take care of that by moving on to our discussion of the season finale, AKA smile. In AKA Smile, Jessica takes Luke to the hospital where she meets up with Nurse Claire Temple. Yes! Who has seen this kind of thing before? <laughs> Kilgrave calls Jessica and tells her he's over the dream of the two of them. He wants her dead. Jessica sends Claire back to her place with Luke and races through the hospital full of people trying to kill her thanks to Kilgrave's control. Asterisk, I don't buy it. <laughs> That's too much for the power upgrade. We'll talk right. about it. Jessica makes it back to her place and gets Luke's phone to see how he was contacting Kilgrave. Meanwhile, Kilgrave takes a full dose of Albert's new concoction to make him as powerful as possible. Jessica finds the address where he's staying and goes to find him. She finds Albert with his arms cut off, bleeding on the floor. He wakes up and warns her about Kilgrave's power before he dies. Jessica finds Kilgrave at the marina and uses Trish as a decoy, but he ends up taking Trish. When Jessica doesn't stop him, he thinks he has control over her and walks over to her. She snaps his neck. Hogarth gets the charges dropped and Jessica goes home, where her phone is ringing off the hook with people looking for a hero. AKA Smile was written by Scott Reynolds and Melissa Rosenberg with story by Jamie King and Scott Reynolds. The episode was directed by Michael Reimer. Um, okay, so I think the first thing that we have to talk about is the most important thing in the whole run of Jessica Jones, which is Claire showing up. <laughs> I love Claire so much. Yeah. Yes. <laughs> look what look what a dose of sanity yes. she is. Oh my god, she's amazing. What a, what a dose of just beleaguered but thoughtful mm -hmm. goodness that mm -hmm. Claire Temple is. Yes, Man. absolutely, absolutely. Um, I mean, I love this whole thing. I love Jessica's panic. She brings him to the hospital, and then they try to put the injection in and everything falls apart and it's just like this this movement of this scene which starts out with like okay we're here and the hospital's going to help and then they can't help him because of his power i mean all of this is just so great and claire you know i mean oh my god jessica when she says this is a good man and claire goes and you and she goes well i'm an asshole <laughs> yes and Claire just smirks like, I get you. Exactly. I get you. you don't scare me and you're not my first. And she's just yes. in it, you know. Um, she's doing this whole as they're waiting in the elevator, she is counseling Jessica. Guilt makes people do stupid shit. You know, she goes through this whole thing. Um, it's so incredibly sweet the way they they bond, and Claire is there to help, you know, like yes. and she is just and she's so capable. Um, I mean, I love all of this with Claire. And I mean, it's it's so sad to see Luke, you know, in a situation where because of his power, he cannot get help. You know, he can't get an injection. Yeah. You know, they yes. can't relieve the fluid in his brain. And then, of course, Claire has to do it by going through his eye. 
Well, yeah. Oh, that's tough. That's tough. I, I mean, I think I mentioned this for Daredevil, and if I didn't, mm-hmm. I don't understand why. But, I mean, I have personally had a thing for Rosario Dawson for decades oh, at yeah. this point. Mm-hmm. And her turn as Claire Temple is doing nothing to change that. She yeah. is so just not here for Jessica's shit. Yeah. You know? Yeah. In a nice way, mm-hmm. right? Yeah. Like, we've seen Jessica be not here for people's shit in a unpleasant way yeah. for 13 episodes. Mm, right. But Claire is just like, no, no, we're not. But, but it's not. I mean, the thing is that with Claire... It's not a self, it's not like with Jessica, it's damage and she's protecting herself. So she's doing that, you know, but with Claire, it's about boundaries. It's about, all right, I will accept this behavior. I will not accept this behavior. Like she is just very clearly laying down the boundaries of what is okay and what is acceptable for her and what is not. And I think that that is a very healthy way to not be here for people's shit. You know? Yeah. Shout out to the nurses that may be in our listening audience. I actually think that this is very in keeping with the good nurses that I know. Yeah. You know. And most they have to deal with a lot of crazy stuff from patients. And so setting those boundaries and what yeah, the and also shit doctors. that nurses have to put up with from doctors like I don't know yes. my, my my older daughter had asthma so we were in the hospital quite a bit during her childhood for like you know a week at a time whenever we went you know and I gotta tell you like my experience with nurses is fabulous my experience with doctors not as great <laughs> I would go to a nurse over a doctor every day and twice on Sundays I, yes I think that boundaried compassion is yes. very much a nurse trait mm-hmm and to see Claire kind of applying that not just to her taking care of Luke, but yeah. also to taking care of Jessica. Mm-hmm. I, and I mean that both when she's giving her stitches, but also when she's like, no, I know somebody like you. Yeah. You know. Yes. Man. Oh, my God. And when she says, you know, I talked about this a little bit earlier, but he questions every move he makes, every thought he has, like you guys, you know, that that yes. Claire's understanding. And it's it's funny because if you compare Claire to Trish, right, Trish sees these powers and thinks, I want those powers. I want nobody to ever touch me without my permission ever again. Like yes. she's got this whole thing, you know, and what Claire has is this wonderful empathic ability to see not just the power and what that does, but the the incredible responsibility that a good person has to take on in order to deal with having powers like that, you know? Mm-hmm. Um, yeah. And I love that she has this, this ability to understand not what the powers do to you as a person who can do what you want, you know, if you mm-hmm. wanted to, right? But what they do to you like inside, you know, how it changes you and how it makes you separate, you know, um, which is another thing she talks about, about that isolating when she's talking to Malcolm and she says, you know, they need from us the ability to connect because having power like that is essentially isolating, you know, yes, her ability yes. to understand all of this on a much deeper, much more psychological, philosophical level is is like I loved her before this. <laughs> But right. like she, I'm just like I want the Claire show. <laughs> like she's the guest <laughs> on everybody else's show because she's the one who has to stitch up all these super powered idiots. But like I want her show. <laughs> she's around a lot more as we go forward. Yes. Just heads up. I know. Uh, I've heard. You know. Mm-hmm. She's she's fantastic. But also after these two, I was like, where is my nightmare show? Uh, where is that? Yes. Seriously. 
Super powered house MD? Come on. Uh, yeah. Yeah, you kind of need that. You kind of do. Um, I love, too, when we get Malcolm's, when he's talking to Claire and he's talking about Jessica. Jessica has it. And she's like, what? And she's a hero. You know, she has yes. it within her. She's, you know, she's still struggling with it, but she has it within her, you know, because she helps people. And the thing is, is that Malcolm also is a hero. He's not a super powered hero. But he is absolutely, by the definition of a hero, is somebody who helps people. You yes. Know? That's what to Malcolm their own is. detriment. To their own detriment. You know, right. Yeah, yeah. Like he gives everything he has and more because he knows what it is to hurt. Right. Exactly. Like it's that compassion and empathy. Malcolm is a hero. Yes, yes, absolutely. As is Claire. You know, and he says that like he recognizes it to Claire. He recognizes the heroism in Claire. But he doesn't see it in himself. He, I, I, mean, I think, I think he's. Just, I don't think he like actively doesn't see it himself. I just think he doesn't think about it. It's just who he is. I think that's a fundamental part of remaining a hero. Yeah, is that, and this is a thing that I mean, I, I could dig up a reading list, but this mm -hmm. is actually a thing that becomes a theme off and on through superhero comics now and then, where as soon as you start thinking of yourself as that paragon, right. that's the moment that you start slipping. Yep. You know. Yep. A little bit of selfish gets in. A little yeah. bit of, you know, somebody else can take care of it. You know, right? Um, it's yeah. The, the if you ever start seeing yourself as a capital H hero, you are on your way to losing it. Well, is superhero right. stuff. Yeah. yeah, yeah. Captain Hammer from Doctor Horrible. Right. I think it's a classic <laughs> example of that. <laughs> yeah. Yes. There the you question go. of whether he was ever a hero to start with is is on my mind because he's yeah. so in his own ass. Well, you know? well, yeah, because he's all about his own press. Like he's all right, about playing right. the role of the hero as opposed to actually being the hero, which I think is a whole other thing. But yeah, mm -hmm. I mean, it's, yes. it's really interesting in this episode in which we are, you know, pretty focused on, you know, getting Jessica, she's getting to Kilgrave, you know, she finds him at this pier. She goes and, you know, of course, finds his father with the arms cut off and then these guys in their house oh wow. god no it's just so it's so awful like that whole thing was so awful and when albert wakes up with his arms cut off and he's like you know he's more powerful than ever like all of them like ah, that was terrible i mean it was good Killgrave is a horror movie yeah and jessica yeah. is a hard-boiled detective movie yes yes and then we watch the sparks when the edges of their two yep. stories hit each other oh, it's good. nicely expressed i like that yeah no that's really really good um so i love like we get to the climax right she goes down to the marina all of the the cops there are after her they've got all these people out on the <laughs> on the pier there who are and i i just couldn't help it it just was like a flash mob you know, it's like the village people. You've got the guy dressed up as like the, you know, there's the cop and they're, and they're all like dancing. I just I had this whole vision of a flash mob there when they start all trying to kill each other, you know. Um, but I love the moment. where uh, Flash mob is a better name for Kilgrave than the purple man. Just saying. Yeah, just, you know, maybe um, <laughs> when when Trish walks in pretending to be Jessica and she's got the headphones on so she can't hear him. I love that. You know, that like having the headphones on, if you can't hear him, he can't command you. You know, um, yes. so that was pretty cool. Um, it was it was high risk. And I'm kind of surprised that Jessica allowed it. But at this point, with what she's been through, you know, whatever. Um, well, I think that's part of Jessica's arc. Yeah. Too. Yeah. Like 
and we'll boy will we get to this with the door here in a yeah. few minutes but mm-hmm. but that is we're watching malcolm come back around mm-hmm. you know and again he's being a reflection of jessica yeah. at this moment like jessica's years-long arc is done in malcolm in a couple of episodes you know yes absolutely we're watching him come back around to realizing that he is a good person and but also needs the help of others mm-hmm. right yeah and i think that's jessica she's realizing she cannot win this on her own yeah. she's been trying and it doesn't work and if you can't trust luke you trust trish yes mm-hmm. that's the person who's been in your life longest in you know in a trustworthy role so Absolutely. i actually see that as like kind of big time character growth for jessica myself yeah it is i mean it's a big moment for jessica to allow trish to put herself in that kind of danger but she knows that she you know she knows that Kilgrave, left on his own is going to come after trish anyway you know because trish matters yes. to her so yes. um so i mean we've got this this wonderful sequence all the cops shooting at her she waits till their guns are empty and then she jumps out over them and runs through it's this whole thing it's really really nice out there all of these innocent people are trying to kill each other and jessica finds her way through it and gets to him and then he says stop And she Mm -hmm. stops. And again, we're using, you know, we know how much more powerful he is. We know that there's a real risk that she is going to be under his control. We know all of this, you know. And so when she stops, you know, he pulls Trish over. And that is the thing that convinces him that Jessica is under his control. I mean, I love this whole thing. First of all, when he says smile um, and she puts on that mannequin smile that is so beautifully done i mean it's creepy as hell Kristen ritter does an amazing job with that and then he says tell me you love me and she and then she looks at trish which is the the key i love the way they set yes. that up which is the key so that trish knows that jessica is her you know is un, is not under his control she looks at trish and says i love you and then snaps his neck and i'm sorry but for every woman in the world or maybe just like in america whatever i don't know if this is a worldwide <laughs> phenomenon when to have a man say smile to a woman and she snaps his neck, I kind of really like that. That was very gratifying. <laughs> I I am going to agree with you in as much as I can, being right. a man who is not constantly told to smile. Okay. <laughs> um, I am also going to return to my assertion at the beginning that this is not a superhero story. It's a story that takes place in a world with superheroes. Yes. Mm-hmm. Because, again, superheroes don't straight murder dudes. Sure. Mm-hmm. And Jessica did. Yes. And I am not making a moral judgment per se right. on the killing of Kilgrave in this moment as much as I'm saying, think about how much time we spent worrying about whether he should kill somebody in Daredevil. Yeah. Yeah. And now come back to here where it's like, nah, brah, that's a foregone conclusion. I am no. bodying him. Yeah. You know? Yeah, absolutely. No, and I like that. I like that, that that is a that is a distinction because that is something that is, you know, is is central to the superhero story is that they don't kill people, yeah. you know? It should be by God. Right. I'm, I'm looking at certain creators right now with stern face. <laughs> Um, but I, I loved that moment. I loved that moment. I thought that was really nice. Um, and it is, it is the perfect capper. Like I really can't imagine a better sort of action set piece Mm -hmm. to get us to the point where she could take Kilgrave out in such, um, a poetically just way. Yeah, absolutely. I mean, it's, it's really, really great. So we have this, you know, she's, um, arrested, right? And Hogarth mm-hmm. comes to her aid, which is, you know, just great. And Hogarth suddenly 
this amazing lawyer who like understands how the law works and everything is like, well, we have cops who are willing to testify. <laughs> and I'm like, you had that all along. I think she says there's a bunch of these port cops that she's willing to subpoena. Yes. I Okay. I'm not going to say that. I said at the time that I agree with you that the precinct was too much escalation too yes. fast. Mm -hmm. It strained credulity. Yes. Um, that aside, if you could sort of separate this out, mm -hmm. this is a, and especially him testing his powers around town, is a pretty serious escalation. Yeah. If it weren't for the precinct, this would work so well. It would work a lot better. Absolutely. And the precinct scene was hot, man. Yeah. Like, I don't want it gone, but it does kind of like strain the girders of the story think, a little bit. I think bit. you pay a price for it. I think you pay a price yes. for it that that does do, you know, it puts it puts a ding in the narrative, you know, and I mean that's, yes. you know, so you gotta, those are choices that writers have to make all the time. I think they made the wrong one in this particular instance, but you know, whatever, at least finally now we're like, we have enough people who can testify about the control, <laughs> Jerry being one of them, you know, because yeah. she's, she's seen it firsthand. Um, but then we have this whole hero and villain voiceover that Jessica does as she's kind of like, you know, contemplating on her life during these last few moments. And we see her talking about the villain, giving the villain part of that voiceover over visuals of Trish going through Jessica's files. Mm -hmm. So in that moment, are we saying that Trish is a villain for digging into Jessica's past? Like what? I didn't understand what that was. I think villain in terms of Trish is a little strong, but she is definitely making a deal with the devil to get that information. Mm, and the devil yeah, well, is yeah. Dorothy. Yeah, yeah, fair enough. I mean, enough. villainy is too far, mm -hmm. but but the the sinister nature of what she had to do and agree to to get those files mm -hmm. combined with this villain talk, I think, it's it's a little subtle. Like, it's not quite as much as saying Trish is the villain, but... She's definitely like dipping her toe in bad things. Yeah. Yeah, absolutely. So um, I don't know. I thought that it was um, I thought that it was a really good finale. And again, I think that this entire season, if you just took a hatchet, you know, <laughs> to like 30 percent of this season, um, it would have worked a lot better. But I mean, it's overall at the end of the season. I enjoyed it. I thought it was really good. How did you feel about like the, the whole season in general? I'm in the same boat. Mm -hmm. it, it It's not perfect, yeah. right? Like it still has that, it's not in the middle, but it's still the saggy middle, you yeah. know? Mm -hmm. um, but I mean, overall, this was like a really ambitious show. Yeah. As far as the themes that it was prepared to deal with mm -hmm. and the the disparate genres that it was prepared to kind of put in the blender together. Yeah. Um. I yeah, I really I love it. I mean, again, I haven't seen all of the MCU Netflix stuff, mm -hmm. but of what I've seen, this is the tightest package and remains and and is likely to remain so. I mean, yeah. I'm prepared to be surprised mm -hmm. by the stuff I haven't seen yet, but Yeah. No, the it's, bar is it's, high. It's pretty good. It's pretty good stuff. Um, all right. So one of the things that we have been talking about, or actually you have really been talking about, you've done this whole <laughs> examination, this metaphorical examination of Jessica's door. So uh, I really want to hear what you have to say about that with regard to these episodes. I am going to mention, too, that you and some of our spectacular patrons on the Discord have been bringing up other instances of doors. Uh -huh. And I love it. Okay. 
I am zeroing in on Jessica's alias investigations door because yes. I think that is the framework that we are supposed to approach chunks All of this of season this with. Way. I yes. really do. Mm -hmm. But it does make every other door a thing to think about. So Feels good job, gang. Yes, I exactly. really like it. <laughs> Bring the doors. Go ahead. <laughs> now, in terms of this episode, I'm going to kind of hit like the points that we see her door, you know, and yes. we've already talked about the episode. So there's a lot of connective tissue, but mm -hmm. you guys get it. You're all smart people. Okay. First time we really see Jessica and her door, she closes it in Malcolm's face. Mm -hmm. Now, remembering what I said about how Malcolm is like the reflection of Jessica, he's also the connection to the world. Yes. He is mm -hmm. her connection to the world. Mm -hmm. In that moment specifically, he is her connection to other victims of Kilgrave. Yeah. He's saying, when are you going to tell us what's up? And she's yeah. like, I'm not going to close. Mm -hmm. Right. Literally locking out the rest of the world because yeah. she's regressing. Mm -hmm. However, the next time we see the door, it's Simpson at it, right? He's knocking and he's got his gun and he is ready to murder Jessica through her door. Like, yeah. it's not really protecting you, this mm -hmm. facade you've put on your life. And it is other people in Jessica's life, her neighbors, that stop him from just murdering her. Yeah. Mm -hmm. Otherwise, she'd be dead in that moment, right? Right. Mm hmm. And then, of course, we have Simpson and the door and the breaking of the entire apartment. Like he is allowed into her life through that mm -hmm. liminal space. And here we have another toxic man wrecking her life. <laughs> right. And I, I want to be careful about triggery things, but there is a certain amount of kind of spousal or familial abuse mm -hmm. in those scenes where... He starts out very calm. She yeah. is very guarded. He gets angrier and angrier. And again, it's it, for me, it's because he's in her life already at that yes. point, right? Like mm -hmm. she, he's past the facade and, and in her life, and and he and he wrecks it yeah. by abusing her specifically. But then it is Trish who comes in and helps her, mm -hmm. and it is that moment, by the way, the moment when Trish comes in and hits Simpson that he falls back into the door and shatters it. Yeah. So. It's Jessica's love for Trish that is her weak spot. It's mm -hmm. not, but that's yeah. how she sees it, right? Yeah. And it shatters mm -hmm. her facade. Mm -hmm. Okay. Nice. I like it. Then we have Jessica locking the door through the broken window. <laughs> <laughs> that's adorable. It is adorable mm -hmm. and it's sardonic. Mm -hmm. And I think it's her way of coping with the shambles that her life has become in that moment. Right. Mm -hmm. But it's also performative. She is doing it for Luke, right. you know? Mm -hmm. And maybe because in that moment she's warming up to Luke being in her life, maybe her locking that door, locking that facade, even though it's clearly shattered, mm -hmm. is a glimmer that her life can be different. Yeah. Mm hmm. Then we have Malcolm seeing her through the broken door and how she is about to drink. Mm -hmm. And in that moment, through Malcolm's eyes, we see what this shattered facade is. Yeah. That's how all of us, that's how like the world would see Jessica right yeah. then. Like mm -hmm. she is a mess and she is going to fix it with booze. And by yeah. fix, I mean, make it worse. Right. You know, <laughs> and frankly, he's not wrong. Yeah. Right. Yeah. But. Like we transition from that into a scene where Luke is there and he's mm -hmm. welcome and he's in a towel. It's a it's a vulnerable situation for both of them. Yeah. You know? mm -hmm. But what we find out later is he's actually still under Kilgrave's control. Right. Kilgrave is still in her life in unexpected ways and she can't stop that mm -hmm. from happening. Mm hmm. 
Then she's sending other people there. She sends Luke there when he's weak and hurt. She sends Claire there. She doesn't know Claire. Right. But she is forced to let people in because she cares. Mm -hmm. She can't help but care. Right. And sure, it's Luke and she sees a kindred spirit in Claire, but she's trusting the right people when she's put in a spot where she has to trust someone. Right. Mm Mm-hmm. And then we have Malcolm and Claire. They are in her space, past her facade, and they are having a conversation through, in, and about Jessica's life. Mm-hmm. Yeah. And both of them, in their imperfect ways, they're really seeing her. Mm-hmm. Yeah. They see that struggle and the heartache and the potential for heroism and why it hasn't come to fruition entirely yet. And they mm-hmm. understand it, right? They yeah. get it. Mm-hmm. And I'm gonna, I'm going to wax poetic about all of us in the world at this point, and. Honestly, I feel like that's all we can hope for is that our loved ones will see us as the hero we could be and then push us towards making that potential a reality, even when the reality is not very heroic right Right. then. Mm -hmm. It's the best I can hope for as a person, I think. Yeah. Mm -hmm. And then at the very end, we have Jessica returning to her shambles of a life. Mm -hmm. But Kilgrave is dead. So it is hers and hers alone for the first time in a long time. And... It has people in it. Yeah. It has Trish. It has Malcolm. And it has a lot of people who need her help. Mm-hmm. And this is the moment, the first time that I watched it, when I went, oh, this is the show wants us to see things through yeah, Jessica's through the door. door. Mm-hmm. We end the show similarly to how we entered it, right? Mm-hmm. But in reverse. We pull back all the way down the hall. Mm-hmm. We leave this shattered, broken door that was already shattered yeah. right, by other by other people, really, at, mm-hmm. where in the beginning we saw it shattered by Jessica herself. Right. Mm-hmm. This mm-hmm. time her facade is shattered, but Jessica isn't hiding from it anymore. It mm-hmm. is, despite its appearances, a new life. And it's new because it doesn't look OK and right. also because people are inside it. I love that. That is such a wonderful read. Of Jessica's door. I think that's fantastic. I don't think I ever would have seen that. Well, thank you. (laughs) That was very, very good. Thank you. All right. So, Joshua, what's your favorite part? These episodes. Okay. There's a lot to like in Mm -hmm. these episodes. But I have kind of a weird one. Like, it's one that honestly doesn't work unless I'm prepared to have a very optimistic view of Trish, right? Like a very generous view of Trish. (laughs) Yeah. But Trish wants to be powerful so badly, Mm -hmm. you know, and and we'll see that this is tragic and a bit of a downfall as we go forward. There's a little hint for the future. But I loved her on the red pills. Like, I know it was a bad choice. Mm-hmm. You know, and and it and it is her ingesting toxic masculinity in order to be powerful. Yeah, I I know all that. That's actually why I like it mm-hmm. because it's such the worst possible choice. But in that moment, she is so joyful in her yeah. own power. Mm-hmm. Like she looks at Jessica and says something like, "This must be how you feel all the time." Yeah, you know. Mm-hmm. And then, of course, it just knocks the legs out from under her right. and nearly kills her. And mm-hmm. I. Love all of that metaphor. And I also love seeing Trish in that moment getting the thing that she thinks she wants. Yes. And seeing that it's oh, not yes. actually beneficial for her. Mm-hmm. Yeah. yeah. I love it. 
No, it's really what about you, stuff. Lonnie? What's your favorite part? Oh God, when uh, when Jessica says "I love you" and you see her looking at Trish instead of Kilgrave, like that Man. moment is so powerful. I love. I also love too the way they set that up. It was so nicely done because they have say something that you would never say. I'll say I love you, you know, um, and so and then we see her. You know, because it's Chekhov's I love you, right? Until we see her say <laughs> I love you to Trish, right? She sends the yes. text that says I love you. So we're like, oh, okay, that's set up. And it's been, you know, so like that, again, is using the momentum of our presumptions, right? Because if you bring something up, we know you're going to have to like make it pay off. So they made it pay off and then made it pay off again, you know, which was yeah. so nice. I love that moment. And then when she just cracks his neck, it's just so, so great. So, yeah, I loved that. And we make love the the climax, yes. right? Like the climax of the story is love. Yes, it's right before a murder and I have some issues, okay? Right. <laughs> but the climax of the story of the person we've been following, of Jessica Jones, hard-bitten, horrible person with a heart of gold, mm -hmm. you know, is love. And yeah. I really appreciate that. Yeah, yeah, me too. I think it's really great. If you enjoyed this conversation and would like to join in, come find us on Twitter. I am at Lonnie Diane Rich and Joshua is at Joshua Unruh. And the hashtag is listen up, a-holes. Both Chipperish Media and Pulp Diction Productions are entirely supported by listeners like you who question every move they make, every thought they have. Show your support by visiting our Patreon pages or by leaving a great review on Apple Podcasts to make it easier for more people to find us and join in the conversation. The links to Apple Podcasts and both our Patreon pages are easy to find right there in your show notes. Thanks so much for joining us for this episode of Listen Up A-Holes. We will be back next time with our discussion of 2015's Ant-Man. Until then, what doesn't kill you makes you stranger. It's like a love triangle, but for murder. <laughs> Side note, that's a high concept of a show we should write. Okay, I'm cutting all that part. <laughs> well, no. Trish takes wait, a red keep, pill to fight wait, him off, the, but not you're until... You're keeping the, the love triangle for murder, though, right? Oh, yeah, okay. that part I'm keeping no, in No, that there. was yeah, great. Absolutely. We don't throw away gems. Okay. <laughs> I'm just making sure.